remembering, remember, we're remembering the mighty things that the Lord has done. And, and I don't want to read all the scriptures again. I've read them twice, but just I want to read one of them to you again. Psalm 78, verse 34, if you'd be so kind and turn in your Bible. Psalm 78 and verse 34. Thank you, Lord, for your help today and for your anointing. <clears throat> when he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. Verse 35, and they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their redeemer. And verse 42, they remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from his enemy, how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. God has done certain signs. He's done certain wonders. He's been a high God and a, and a savior and a redeemer to me. And, and the Bible talks much about honoring him by remembering. Then you, when, you, when you remember somebody's birthday, it's an honor. Husbands, when you remember the anniversary, it's an honor. Uh, when we remember a 15-year anniversary, we're honoring God for what he did. We're not just having a party. And so remembering is a spiritual act. And I would encourage you to sit around your table and remember with your children, remember with your husbands and wives, remember with your friends what God has done for you. It will, as we read earlier, you know, last week, I won't read for sake of time, but it will encourage you, it'll give you hope. Oh, yes. Bible says when you remember it produces hope it does. because God will do it again. Mm -hmm. If you did it, then he'll do it again. Yeah. And it helps you obey. It helps stir you up to obey. Lord, I want to live right because I believe that you can do these miracles again. And so I'm remembering a little bit with you today. And, uh, you know, I ended off by talking about... About that little baby. I think that was the last thing I shared with you. The 109 degrees fever uh, in a coma, about to die. The Lord said, watch. Laid hands on that little one. 30 seconds later, I put my hand back on her. It was a little girl. And she was just, just as cool as you are. Mm -hmm. Mother started screaming and crying. You know, yes. And you know, of course. Yeah. we're so used to being, yeah. what's the word? Um, not expressive in our culture. And when you see people screaming and wailing and crying, uh, you know, and, and they're not churched, but they're just so grateful to Jesus. It just does something to your heart. Then you see them get born again because that's what, that's what miracles are. They're to point people to Jesus. And so, you know, we, we, we did that. And I remember, I remember in those six days, it was so hot I mean, we're in the jungles of the central part of India. I mean, it was so hot. Yeah. And, I, and, and you, no matter how much water it seemed you drink, it, you didn't seem to ever satisfy the thirst. And, uh, and after about four villages, sometimes we did five. I think the most we did in one day was six villages in a day. So you're starting at eight in the morning. You're going till eight at night. And you're just going, preaching an hour, hour and a half, winning souls, praying hands, and then getting back in the vehicle and going to the next village. And that's what we did day after day. And I would get so tired... I mean, it wasn't because I was overweight. I was 120 pounds at that time and 20 years old. But I was so exhausted just with the heat and the ministry giving out like that, laying hands on hundreds of people a day. I'd go back, and I remember I've never looked forward more to cement in my life because they didn't have a bed for us. All they had was a little house, and there was nothing in the house. And so we slept on cement, and I didn't have a pillow. So I remember I took my jacket, which you didn't need because it was so hot, but I took my jacket and, and, and some of my T-shirts, and I would put them in the jacket and roll them up, and that was my pillow. And I'd lay on that cement, and the cement was kind of cool. And I mean, it's over 100 degrees at night. 
And so, you know, you don't want any sheets on you or nothing. You know, we just have our little shorts on. You know, the, lady, the, the, the wife of the pastor was in another room. And, uh, and the guys just had our little shorts on. And, and that's it because it's so hot you're sweating at night. But lying on that, on that cement floor was at least cool. Yeah. And, and, I, and, you know, those, those, are, those are early days. Today we like to have a little bit more uh, Hilton if possible. <laughs> Uh, but you know, you got to be willing to do when you're on the mission field, you got to be willing to do whatever. And, and I, and I remember there was such joy would, would lie there and, and with not much food and no, no, no amenities, but there was such fulfillment. I, I, I can't express to you the joy that we would fall asleep sweating. But knowing we had just changed the lives of people that day and brought thousands, literally, I'm not exaggerating, into the kingdom. Because every village, God was healing people by the hundreds. And, and everybody that was getting, what was getting healed were getting saved. And most of those churches had 10 or 12 people in it. When we left, they had 100 people in it, 150 people in it. And so those local pastors had literally just converted the entire village. And, and that's, to me, that's exciting. That's apostolic work. That is true apostolic work. And I think that's why it hit me so hard because I didn't know I was called to that, but God was giving me a taste. I remember we went to one village and nobody I prayed for got healed. Nobody fell out under the power, not that they even knew what that was. Uh, nothing happened. And I was so upset. And I said to the Lord, when I drove away, I was so discouraged. I said, Lord, did I, what, did I sin? What happened? Why did nothing happen in this village? Something happened in the village before. And in the village, the next village we went to, the power of God exploded again. But that village was like nothing. And I said, Lord, what happened? I don't know. He didn't answer me. And then a month later, after I got home, uh, Pastor Pradeep, who was, Aubrey was the local guy, but Pastor Pradeep was the regional guy from Nagpur, and, he, and he, he needed a motorcycle to get around. And so my mother, I don't know if you remember that, Mom, but my mother and I, we, we pulled money, she did obviously most of it, and we bought him a motorcycle. And so that he could go and traverse and get around more easy because all he had was a bicycle. And so, and in that letter that he was thanking us for the bike, for the motorcycle, a little scooter, when I say motorcycle, I mean a little scooter. But when he was thanking us for that, he said, by the way, in a letter, handwritten letter, he said, by the way, Pastor Craig, I want to tell you something. Do you remember that village we went to that nothing happened and you were so discouraged? He said, when, when, when Pastor Aubrey went back to that village a month later, the people told him that seven days from the same hour you were there, Whatever hour I was there, I don't know remember what the hour was, but seven days later on the exact hour that you were there seven days earlier, the entire village fell out at the same time. People at the well fell out. People that were cooking fell out. People in the fields fell out. People on the roads fell out. The entire village, it was like something like a blanket from heaven and it smushed the entire village. And every person that was sick was instantaneously healed at the same time. And they all stood up in a daze, what just happened? And then, they, and then when Aubrey came, they said, what just happened? And he says, ah, when that man came to preach for you, uh, God didn't manifest himself then, but he chose to manifest himself to the hour seven days later at the same time. Th there's no explanation for that. You don't know why God does that. That's called a sign and a wonder because it makes people go, what is that? We had things like that happen. 
And then, of course, my last story, there's many more, but I, I, I'm just make, focusing on the main ones. I was exhausted. You've heard me say it. I'll just give the highlights. I said, I'm done, guys. I'm, I'm exhausted. We had done five. I said, no more. I am beyond exhausted. And we're heading back to the cement floor uh, house. And he says, Pastor Aubrey says, there's one more village. I says, no, there's no more villages. There's no more on my docket today. We'll do it tomorrow. He said, I hear the Holy Ghost saying one more village. Now, let me just give you a little nugget. When you're really tired, you don't hear the Holy Ghost, right? That's true. He wasn't tired. He's used to the heat. He's used to the schedule. I'm not. When you're tired, you're in your soul. Just a little nugget for you. Don't try to make big decisions when you're exhausted. You'll, you'll make a mistake usually. And I said, well, I'm obviously not hearing right. So, brother, I'll yield to you. And we go and we're going, it's pitch black. I mean, it's dark now. And, 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 he, and he, 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 he says something in, 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 uh, in his language to the other person. And so they, get the, they start getting the gun out. They have a rifle in there because you're in the middle of the jungle. You don't know what's going to come at you. And so they and, and, and he sees down and he and I said, well, what's going on? What's going on? And he says, there's there's an animal down on the path looking at us. We just don't know what that is. And I look down and you just see two little white dots. It's called eye shine. Yeah. And it's pitch black and you've got a, a, a truck lights. Your eyes glow. Yeah. And I said, oh, God, what is that? And so they slow down, and they're going real slow until finally they realize that's not an animal, that's a human. So they put the gun down, and he starts to increase speed. That's very dangerous to be out there alone uh, in the jungle by yourself at night. There's animals everywhere, and they'll eat you. <laughs> Remember the signs I talked about? And, he's, and he jumps at, and then he's saying kind of in, in his language, and then also in English for me to understand, he said, that's my congregation member. And he only had one congregation member in that whole town. That was her. And she was the most powerful witch in the region for years. She would curse people and they would die. She would offer sacrifices to Satan on a regular basis. And once a year, a fireball the size of a soccer ball would descend. The whole village would come out and watch. And it would descend from heaven and hover over her house all night long. And when she woke up the next morning, something in her house would be dead as a sacrifice to that demon. A cattle, some of her cattle would be dead or something, something that some kind of animal thing on her property would have died as a sacrifice to that demon God. And it gave her power. And everybody was afraid of her. She was notorious in the region. You don't mess with this woman. She'll kill you. Then Aubrey came in to preach the gospel. (laughs) And she withstood him. And Aubrey is unafraid. Remember I talked about the crazy guy that was run over by the train. And he went face to face, eye to eye with her and said, if my God does this, this, and this, and your God can't match it, then you have to turn. And he did miracles, and she couldn't perform those miracles. Now, this is an honest hearted. Listen, I'd rather somebody be a witch with an honest heart. A lot of people, they don't have an honest heart. She was, an, she was cold. God said, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but don't be lukewarm. She was cold, but she turned hot real quick. She realized that what he had was greater than what she had. Just simple. Your power is stronger than my power. It's not complicated. So I'm going to leave my power and I'm going to go and serve your God. And she became a born again, spirit filled believer and was the only believer in that town, in that village. Really, it's a village. 300 people, whatever it was. And so they were afraid of her. Now they hate her because they don't like Christian, the the Christian religion. That's the white man's religion. And so they persecuted her. Her husband left her. Her children abandoned her. She was in the house alone. 
The malaria epidemic comes through, she gets malaria. She's in stage three malaria. She can't hardly walk. Nobody will cook her food. She's lying there dying. I mean, when you get it, you die. She's lying dying and Jesus walked into her room in an open vision. And he looked at her and she said, have you come to heal me? And he said, no. He said, in three days, three pastors and a pastor's wife will come. I've sent them. One of them will lay their hands on you and I'll heal you then. Just wait. And he walked back out. And so on the third day at dawn, she started crawling. She couldn't walk. She was so weak. And remember how hot it is. And it's a long way from her hut, her little house thingy to that gate, the village gate. This is ancient villages. I mean, they actually have gates. And it took her the whole day in the sun to crawl there. And when the village elders came to close the gate at night, they saw her and they moved her and pushed her on the outside of the gate and locked it behind her so that the animals would kill her at night. That was their way of getting rid of her. And she was sitting against that gate looking down the path. And she was saying, Jesus, you told me three days and three pastors and a pastor's wife would come. Where are they? And here I'm the carnal bucket saying I want to go sleep on the cement but here is Aubrey saying there's one more village and so he's hearing crying telling me we're all crying and uh, and and she said and and he and he says he looked at me and he said you're the leader of our team Pastor Craig Jesus must have been referring to you because you're the leader so you lay hands on her and I went to her and I said darling through the translator I said Jesus sent me to you. She just, I'll never forget her face, Jenny. She just, she can barely talk. Just a whisper. She's got no strength. And she's looking up at me. We got, we got the car lights, you know, shining. That's because it's so dark. And she's looking up at me with those eyes. I'll never forget those eyes as long as I live. And uh, beyond exhaustion, but full of hope. Yeah. I could tell she had hope, but she couldn't hardly speak whisper. She was so weak. And she said, whatever. And I said, what did she say? He had to put his ear right down to her her lips so he could hear her because she was so weak. And he said, she said, don't waste your whole hand. Just give me one finger and God will heal me. And I said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And I put my index finger in the center of her forehead and I felt something shoot out of my arm like an electric current. And when it, and it came right out fast and it hit her and she, she shocked me because she's so weak and she's like, it's like a missile rocket was under her behind. She launched off the ground. I don't even know how she did it that fast. It was like, like it went right into her and she went, wow, and she yelled and she jumped out off the ground and started started jumping and dancing and screaming. And I remember she started dancing around the car, around the SUV. And we were holding her hand and we're all dancing. And she said, I'm healed. I'm healed. Jesus said he'd heal me. I'm healed. I'm healed. So we're crying, but I'm still tired. I said, I'm done. Let's go back. We've done our assignment. And Aubrey said, you can't, you'll offend her. I said, I don't care about offending her. I'm tired. He says, you can't do that. So he says, so we walked with her 
you know, the gate's locked. We can't get in. So we have to hop the gate and walk with her. I saw how long that, that she dragged herself up to her little house. And she made me sit there and said, now this is the bowl. She gave me a special bowl. She says, this is what I killed the animals, put their blood in this bowl and sacrificed it to Satan. This is my sacrifice bowl. This is for you, Pastor Craig. Now we worship Jesus and we eat from this bowl. And I said, any other bowls around or, 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 or is this the only one? And Aubrey said, no, this is a great honor for you to eat the satanic bowl. For you to eat, now it's a Jesus bowl. And then, and then she gave me the knife that she would kill the sacrifices with. And she said, now you cut your food with the sacrificial knife because this is for Jesus now. And she gave me the cup uh, that she would do the satanic offerings with it. She says, now this is the Jesus cup. You see, when people turn from darkness and turn to light, they're a completely different human being. That's right. And she made us japatis. I'll never forget. It took about 45 minutes and I'm so tired. And she was, but she's singing. I remember looking at her in the kitchen with her, with her little sorry. And she's just there and she's, and she's just singing. And she, I remember she was moving her legs like this, like constantly moving. And she's doing this and she'd turn around and then talk something. And then he'd tell me what she said. And she's just smiling ear to ear. Put the japatis in the oven, made them, came, presented them to me. We prayed, we worshiped God. Then she said, here is an instrument. Would you play the instrument? I used to worship Satan with this. It was like a little guitar thingy. And she said, would you play? I knew some good chords. So I played that and we sang a worship song to Jesus on the sacrificial guitar. <laughs> and about two hours later, when all of this was done, I said, Aubrey, can, are, we, are we done? And he said, yes, we're done. Now we go to the cement floor. And we walk back. I'll never forget that those experiences, they brand you, they mark you. Nothing is ever really the same after you experience that kind of stuff. Ended that, went down to the south, all the way down in Bangalore, southern India. Met with a precious pastor, preached in his church for three or four days. I don't know, the Lord kept having me. I'll never forget it even to this day. I've never preached about that before or since the same way. And I wonder if maybe this is going to actually end up happening. But I heard God for four days say, preach about raising the dead. Preach about raising the dead. And for four days straight, I preached about raising the dead. And couldn't quite figure out why there was such an emphasis. I thought, maybe I'm going to raise somebody this trip. That didn't happen. But uh, the day before I left, he said, uh, he called me. Oh, no, no, let me just finish this next thing. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to leave these other things out. Uh, <clears throat> so he, he says to me, uh, I, we, we ate. And he says to me, uh, we, I need you to, I want you to preach to my Bible school. It was about 200 students. And I said, okay. And so we had dinner that night. And I remember I had been so sick uh, only what, three or four weeks before, five weeks before. And my body was still tender. And I don't know what he gave me, but I got violently ill again. I was throwing up, not the same, but I was throwing up all night. And I remember the next morning he came in the room and he saw me. And he said, oh, my God. He said, what happened? I said, I don't know. I, I, I've been sick. And he goes, I'll cancel. I said, where are they? He said, they're all waiting for you in the auditorium, which is just across the street from where I was saying. He said, I'll, I'll cancel. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, don't cancel. And I said, Lord, I can barely walk. He said, can you walk? I said, I can barely walk. He said, then you can walk. God don't let people off the way you let yourself off. He said, can you walk? I said, barely. He said, then you can walk. He said, my anointing will come on you. Go. I remember I put on that suit, you know, just, you know, when you've been, 
you feel just like nothing, like you have no strength. And I remember I walked slowly to that thing. I just walked right up to the pulpit. And that's the only time in my life I've ever really just not moved. I think with that sunburn, I didn't move either. But I literally stood there at the pulpit. I didn't move because I was holding on physically to the pulpit because I felt like I was going to pass out. But that anointing, my God, Jennifer, to this day, I remember it. It was like something came over me. It went like that. As soon as I put my hands on the pulpit, it's like that anointing came on me. I didn't even know what to preach. I didn't have a sermon. Because I was so, I was planning on getting up early that morning to get a sermon, but I was throwing up. And I heard him say, preach about, they knew them. They took knowledge of them for they had boldness. They had, they, they had such boldness, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's in the book of Acts. And I turned to that scripture and I preached. I remember that anointing was so strong. I didn't move a muscle, but I preached for an hour straight about all these students, about your education is not the most important thing. You're being with Jesus and having boldness is what's going to change your life. And there was such an anointing on that service. I'll never forget the anointing on that service. And I remembered later when Paul said, when I'm weak, then I am strong. That verse took on a brand new meaning to me because I had no strength in the natural, but that was one of the most powerful messages I've ever preached. The anointing literally carried me. All I was, was a mouthpiece. And those students were in rapt attention. I'll never forget. And, and, and he told me later, he said, that's one of the best sermons I've ever heard. And so that's not me. That's the anointing. See, when you obey God, even when you don't, when you come to church, even when you don't feel like you, like you necessarily, it's priority on your list that day and you make the effort, watch what God, how God honors you for the sacrifice. He honored me because I didn't quit on him that day. I'll never forget that. And then of course, my last day before going to the airport was in Bangalore. And, uh, and he said to me, he called me, uh, he came up, there wasn't a phone, but he came up and he said, oh, he said, we have a treat. I said, what is the treat? I said, I'm leaving this afternoon on the train. He goes, I'm so glad I never know when he's going to come, but he's here. I said, who? He said, Pastor Raj, Reverend Raj. I said, who's that? So he said, come down, I'll show you. And this little old man, 106 years old about five feet one. And he's looking at me. He's got no teeth. He's got bright blue eyes, no glasses. He's got a Bible this big. I've never seen a Bible so big. It was like a mini surfboard under his, and the print, the print, every letter was this large. I mean, it was looking like a children's book. That's why the Bible was so big because it takes so much to get the whole Bible in when the print is this big. It was thick, man. And it was this big and he was holding it under his arm. And, uh, and, and he looked at me and he said, this is our dear friend, Pastor Reverend Raj. He said, he's been preaching the gospel for over 80 years. He started in his early 20s at 106. And he said, he's gone through all the jungle regions. And he's seen hundreds of thousands converted to the gospel in over, over 80 years. Planted thousands and thousands of churches. And he said, we never know when he's going to show up. He just shows up and we feed him and we support him. And then he's gone again for six months. And he said, this might be the last time we see him. We don't know how long. And I think it was ended up being the last time they saw him. But, uh, but he said, he said, I just wanted you to meet him. That's very rare to meet a man. And I just have, I've always had an honor for those that are elderly anyway. And, I, and that was a real treat. So I looked at him and I said, sir, uh, he had to speak in translation. I said, sir, I said, I'm a young minister. I said, you're a veteran minister. I said, can you tell me in your opinion, what is the most important thing I should know? And he looked at me with those blue eyes 
put that Bible down. And through the translator, he said, young man, the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Without the gifts, you cannot succeed. But with the gifts, you can do anything. And then he put his wrinkly hand on my head. And he prayed a beautiful prayer of impartation. Lord, help. It, just, it was a precious moment. He took pictures. Uh, the, the pastor and his wife were taking pictures. And he just, I just fellowshiped and talked with him. We had lunch together. And while we're eating, they, we were eating some kind of like a chicken thing. And he's eating. And I said, Mr. Raj, I said, you have no teeth. I said, how do you? And he's, I mean, he's, he's gumming it. But, but, but he goes, but he's, he's actually like, like he's got teeth. I don't know how, like he's eating it like normal. Like he's, and he goes, God is my teeth. (laughs) And then he says, let's read the Bible. And he opens up. Now it's pretty big, but he opens up. And I said, Mr. Raj, why don't you have glasses? And he goes, I've never had glasses. God is my eyes. And then, and then I says, and then he was leaving, put his backpack on and he, and I said, sir, don't we want to get a cab? God is my strength. And he trods off into the distance with his backpack, with that monster Bible. And he had taken grapes and, and food and bananas. He had stuffed all the fruit in the backpack. And, and I saw him walk away. Wow. You know, this little tiny five, one man, God is my strength. God is my legs. Off to go preach in the jungles at 106 with the gifts of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, what a treat to end my trip. I'm telling you. And I came home. And uh, the day after I got home, I turned 21. I came home on October the 5th. And uh, now listen, I I say all that. Now listen, I want want to get to where I want to get to here. Can you follow me? Just, can you stay with me? Everything I've shared for two and a half services is a five-year period. Now, I didn't know this until I actually went and did the math, but God said to me through Pastor Nancy in June camp meeting, she stood up one day and she was preaching and she said, some of you ministers need to look back to what God did at the beginning of your ministry. God told me to, I am to look back at what God did at the beginning of my ministry, which were healing crusades and tent meetings and all that stuff for her. And he said, and God said, he's going to do the same again. Now the season has come for the fullness of what he gave us a taste of. And she said, some of you need to look back. Now, when she says some of you, that doesn't mean all of you. So when I hear that, I say, Lord, am I one? Before I could even ask God the question, I heard him in my spirit say, you're one. Look back to the beginning. Now listen to me, folks. He said to me in that service, the first five years, he said the word five years. I didn't come up with the five years. He said five years. And I thought, well, I don't even know what I did in the first five years. So I went back to when I started in 91 and I did five years, which went to, because I started on my birthday and I, and I went back to my birthday of 96 Because he said, he said five years. I didn't come up with the five years. I didn't even know what I had done. And so I started writing out my story. I wrote out, this is my story. And everything I've shared with you in the last two and a half services has been the first five years. From October 91 to October the 5th, 1996. I want you to understand where I'm going with this. Everything I've shared with you is the God called the beginning. Yeah. 
The first five of 32 years, he said, was the beginning. And he set the five. I didn't set the five. He said, find out what you did in the five. That is called the beginning and write it down and you're going to preach it. I didn't know when, but it ended up being now. Everything I've shared, look how long it's taken me to share this with you. And these are just highlights of the first five years. And the Lord said, these five years are, as Pastor Nancy said, the appetizer. It is the beginning. And he said, now, because you've been faithful, I'm going to give you the full meal. You know, when you have an appetizer, it's the first part. But then when the full meal comes, it's the fullness of what you tasted. Pastor Nancy said to me privately about three weeks ago when I was with her, uh, she said to me, she said, Pastor Craig, she said, uh, what God did at the beginning of your ministry, he said, he's going to now give you the fullness. It's going to start now. The fullness is coming. And, and I already knew it was 24. I didn't tell her that. But she said, the fullness is coming. And she said, and why is God giving you the full of what you tasted? He said, because you were faithful. Brothers and sisters, listen closely to me. Faithfulness is the key to promotion. When you don't feel like it, when everything is against you, when people hurt your feelings, when the weather is bad, when you're faithful to God in your prayer closet and you're faithful to God in the local church, he counts that as the defining feature of whether he can promote you or not. It's not how good you preach or how strongly you are anointed. It's about faithfulness. And God said to me through Pastor Nancy, and she's the, my, my spiritual parent, and she didn't even know what I'm telling you. She didn't know all the details about 2024. I didn't really tell her. I just said, God said to me, when you said that, to look back at the beginning and to look at the first five years, that that was an hors d'oeuvre. And that now he's going to start giving me the full measure of what I tasted in the first five years. And, and, and she said, that's because you've been faithful. That's, if you weren't faithful, you'd never have got the full measure. And I, then she said to me, she said, Pastor Craig, the miracles were dramatic back then. And she said, they're about to get dramatic again. And I don't just mean for me, I mean for this church. If you're under this flow, you participate. You participate in this mantle. You participate in this new phase of ministry. And so from 91 to 96, there was all those things. That's the beginning of the ministry. Now listen, for 14 years, I've run all the numbers and it took me a long time to remember all this stuff. But for 14 years from 97 to 2010, I did not do one international trip. I never left Canada or the U.S. for 14 years straight. Why? He was giving me a taste. The middle section was not to be international. The middle section was to be faithful. For 96 to 99, I worked secular for two and a half years. I had like 14 jobs in two and a half years. Because I was supposed to get hired at Evangel, but I picked another job, but listening to the Holy Ghost. And then when that job fell through, I came back and they'd already hired somebody else. And I learned a valuable lesson about being led by the Spirit and not taking a good offer. And so I had to work, and I worked every kind of job imaginable. I would hook up people's cable TV in their homes. I worked construction. I made roads. I, I, I was a courier in downtown Toronto. I did everything. I worked at a bank as a teller. I did everything you can imagine, 14 jobs in two and a half years. Why so many jobs? Because I quit most of them. 
I got four weeks in and I fell into a deep depression. I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I'm not called to lay bricks. But you gotta, you got to put food on the table. But there's got to be something better. I don't feel very good. And I quit that one. And then I get another one. And I bounced around for two and a half years because I didn't, wasn't, he had a job prepared for me. But I missed it because I had a better offer, a more exciting offer from another ministry, which then fell through and I wasn't led by the Spirit. You pay a price when you're not led by the Spirit. But after two and a half years in the summer of 1999, that was 97 to the mid-99, uh, a pastor in Brampton uh, called and said, we want you to come be the associate pastor. And so I did that for two years. And I enjoyed that. And I, and, and I preached a lot. And uh, all that time while I was working, I was still preaching at the youth group all the time, almost every other week. But I just was working secular. And then the international travel. Then from 2001 to 2006, five years, I just traveled on the road. I mean, I would go to churches. No good church would have me because a good church won't have a stranger. So you have to go to not good churches. So I went to all these weird churches. I don't want to say the denomination because I don't want to insult anybody. But there's a lot of churches out there that you just say, hey, I went and saw miracles in India. Oh, come, come, heaven. They don't have no idea your doctrine, no idea what you're going to preach. You could be a weirdo, but the pastor just wants, they, they just want hype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell stories about miracles. And, and thank goodness they, they had a good person that I didn't lead their sheep astray. But that's what I did for five years. Just went all over preaching Southern Ontario. Never went, never went to the States, never went international, just preached in many churches all over the GTA. And I was an itinerant minister. That's where the highest offering I ever got was $250. Not one time did they ever take an offering from me. They gave me an honorarium, which is a cheap way out. Once I ministered four and a half hours and I got $100. And the pastor was really proud of himself like he had done something great. That's why during that time I had to work at customs because I couldn't afford to, uh, my, we got married in 2001, I couldn't afford to support my wife with just a $100 offering once a week. So that's why I worked at customs for 40 hours a week and then traveled every weekend. That was a busy time, wasn't it, Jenny? It sure was. <laughs> we had that wretched little Pontiac Sunfire. We did. And I would drive you downtown, yep. down right downtown to work turn around, go up to customs, cry my way through the day, pray for a bomb to explode and put us out of our misery, drive back downtown, pick up Jenny, drive back to Brampton to our wretched little apartment on McMurchie Avenue. I'd fall on the couch, she'd make dinner, she wasn't a very good cook back then, and, and even that was a disappointment. And I would put the food in my pocket so that I wouldn't offend her and then tell her I had to go to the bathroom and empty it into the toilet. Only did that five times, but I remember them. And then, uh, you know, you, you know just, just, and then just when you finally crawl out of the sadness that dawns on you, oh, I have to repeat that tomorrow. And then when you get your paycheck and you pay everything, there's nothing left. And I thought, this is not what life's supposed to be like. And then on top of that, I had to go preach in churches that disrespected uh, the anointing and me every weekend or almost every weekend. But that's called faithfulness. <laughs> now Jenny took a chef's course. She's been doing it for four years and she cooks better than a restaurant. My God, you want good food? Just have her cook for you. Dear Jesus, help us. <laughs> then at the end of that traveling ministry, 2000 and, 2000 and uh, and five, we were going to go to Peru. 
you know, we did the training and everything. Remember, that's just the time when we were going through the place where they were going to kill us and we didn't know and I had the yellow helmet on and everything. And Jenny, this thing was so steep and she's eight months pregnant and, uh, and we can't, there's not enough power to get us up the hill. So she was on the bike and I was beside the bike pushing the bike up the hill. But then going down the other side is like, it's like a bed out of you know where. And then, and then they're waving at us and the ladies are shaking their head while they push their thing. I'm like, why is everybody shaking their head? And the day we leave, the guy said every day, every week, they decapitated gringos and put their heads in the street. And he said, they're shaking their head because they don't understand why you're still alive. And God blinded the eyes of those cartel members. Because we went through that every week for eight, nine weeks. That was fun. Anyway. That was a lot of fun, Jenny. These adventures in God. Uh, anyway, and so we were going to go to Peru, but then Pastor Coulter said, no, you need to come work for me. Then finally, we got, God got over to us. That's another story too long to tell. God got over to us. This, is, this training you're doing in Guatemala for Peru is not my will. You're trying to imitate David Hogan. I said, well, he's good to imitate. And he said, yes, but he's not, he's, he's not you imitate me. So I said, well, Lord, I'm not staying in Canada. And I'm not being a pastor. And I'm not starting anything from scratch. So as long as you understand those three things, we're going to be fine. No, I'm serious. I told him that. And he said, you just work for Pastor Coulter. And I'll talk to you. And the day Pastor Coulter let me go, 2008, that was two years, two years and four months. The day he, he said, it's time for a change. My son wants to pick his own staff. I was relieved because I didn't see eye to eye doctrinally with them. So I was thrilled to leave. I went to pray that day. And the Lord said, uh... I would like you to start a church from scratch. That was the first wrong thing. I want you to pastor that church. That was the second wrong thing. And he said, and I wanted to be here in Canada. And I remember I collapsed on the thing. This is the Badlands up on uh, Old Baseline Road. You know those big red hills? That's before they had all the, now you have to pay to get in, but then you could just walk wherever you wanted. I remember I collapsed on the thing. I had red all over my shirt. All that stuff was on me. And I cried. I said, Lord, please, I'm begging you. I'll go back and work for culture for the rest of my life. Don't make me do that. Please don't make me do that. I don't want to do that. And he said, I didn't know about what you wanted, about what I want. And, and listen to me, you won't have a grace until you agree. And he said, just agree. I said, I, I don't want to agree. He said, just agree. It was a wrestling of the soul. And the moment I said, I agree, I'll do it. An anointing came on me and a desire came into me to start a church. And that's where promise of life was birthed on October the 7th, 2008. We hooked up with Dr. Dufresne the month before. And he put jet engines, jet rocket engines on our spiritual life. Praise God. I'm telling you my story. It's, a, it's important. Now from 2008 to 2011, we're in the basement of the Morris family. Thank God for them. Then we moved in here in March 2010. Doctor came and saw the, the mantle vision in June 28th, 2010. And then we're just in establishing mode, 8, 9, 10, and part of 11. We're just establishing, just trying to get this thing going. But in 2011, I did my first international trip 14 years later after the India trip. And we went to Dominican Republic and Haiti. And we hated every moment. No, we didn't. <clears throat> it was a, it was a, Dominican was right. We were in the will of God for Dominican. 
but uh, we weren't in the will of God for Haiti. And uh, I, I, I started getting sick. And uh, I went up to the roof of the house and walking back and forth in the middle of the night praying while the team was downstairs. Taylor, you were with me on that one. And uh, I said, Lord, what is going on? And he said, you're out of my will. He said, you came here because there was a need. He said, Jesus never went anywhere where there was a need. He went by the Holy Ghost, not by need. And he said, you are out of my will to be in this country. And this is a lot of witchcraft in Haiti. And I could feel that darkness. And he said, I will protect you this time. But don't you ever do this again. You never go to a country without me telling you to go. And I repented and that sickness left me and God cocooned our team. And we help people. We help the orphans. We help people. We help the church. We still had good fruit, but we were in the permissive will of God. Dominican Republic was the perfect will. But anyway, we, we started these, the, this, this, this trip stuff started kind of a little bit there. In six years, from 2011 to 2016, remember, nothing had happened from 97 to 2007 internationally. But now in 2011 to 2016, six years, I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but I wrote down everywhere that we went. And I did a couple trips to Africa. We did two trips to Dominican Republic. We did the Israel tour, the first tour of our church. We started like a light building of international, but it was light. Then for the next seven years, from 2017 to present, 2023, the last seven years, we did a, 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 what I would say, a, a stronger buildup. It was more than those first six years, but it, it started another kind of a, a flow of international work. And there was a main focus on Africa, did that three times. Israel did that a number of times. Russia, Brazil, did Russia a number of times? Did Brazil a number of times? Uh, we also, I also did Burma and Thailand and Philippines. And, and now we're going to Dominica later this month for the first time. But there, if, if you look at the list, you'll see I'm, I'm doing this for purpose because I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking to connect dots. I want to understand what God is doing here. And the first five years, there was an, a massive amount, but it was a taste. Then there was nothing for 14 years. I'm talking about international. And, and, and there was a lot going on, but there was no international. And then there was six years of light buildup and then seven years of medium buildup. And that brings us to today. We are now 32 years in. I've started my 33rd year of pulpit ministry. And, uh, and the Lord said to me, look at all of this stuff. Look, look back. Remember what I've done and what, what I've asked you to do and how I've been with you. But he's saying that for a reason. He's not just saying it for nostalgia. He's saying it because he's trying to get something over to me. And he is trying to let me know. And this is very important. He said, look back to the beginning. Notice the miracle that I did. And if you look at those five years, uh, Sandra, the first major thing God did at the very beginning of the five years was that girl in the Chernobyl Children's Hospital. The miracle. And the last thing he did at the very end of that five years were the miracles in India. And the Lord said, now look at, the, look at that five-year period. There was a lot that happened, but especially the beginning and especially the end. That was your hors d'oeuvre stage. And he said, now listen, I'm saying this for a reason. He said, pay attention to what I did and pay attention to where I did it. And I said, well, Lord, he had to explain that to me. I spent many days praying and waiting on him. And he said, look at the creative miracles as well as the healings, because there was a, there was a marked thing on your ministry, even though you were young, you were a kid. 
But there was a marked thing on your ministry for healings and miracles. Everybody that knew me back then knew. And he said, and there was also a marked thing for South Asia. Why? Because of the, the big work that we did in India for that three-month period. And he said, now listen, I'm, I'm, I'm casting vision. I'm letting you know what's happening in this season. He said to me, just be a... He said to me, look back at the beginning. Because what I did at the beginning was only a taste. Now what is about to happen which is in 2024, which is in phase three, which is the 33rd year of ministry, which is just on the horizon. In fact, we've already started touching it now because we're in the overlap season. He said, what I did then, I am going to do again because you were faithful, but I'm going to do in multiplied fashion. And Pastor Nancy said, it's going to be dramatic. That's the word she used privately to me. And it's because of faithfulness. It's not because I deserve it. It's because of faithfulness. And so he said to me, I want you to start expecting, and I'm going to, and I want you to expect with me, a greater increase of healings and miracles in the local church as well as international starting in 24. Because 24 is the season. I'm starting. He's not, he's not doing it all in one year. I'm starting the full plate. We had an appetizer. Now it's the main course. It's 24 is the beginning of the main course. And he said, there's going to be an increase in miracles and healings like at the beginning. So I'm saying this so that you'll pray it out with me and, 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 and be supportive of it. I'm not just saying this to spectators. I have a sense some, a lot of you today, you're acting like spectators. I'm saying this to participators. I'm not just, I'm not just a little, uh, little clown doing an act this morning. I'm not just sharing this so that you go, oh, isn't that nice what God did? I'm saying it for a reason. He said, tell them your story and remember what I've done, the great high redeemer, the wonders that I've done. And then tell them what I've done has been a taste. And because of faithfulness, I'm about to do it again. Not only there, but here. The kind of miracles you saw at the beginning of the beginning. And the kind of miracles you saw at the end of the beginning. The beginning that was when 91, 92, and then 96. I'm telling you guys, I need you to, I need you to hear this is what I'm saying is supremely important. Because if God is telling me, and you listen, most people, when God tells them this, they don't talk about it. Because now it's on record. Because now people can judge you. Because now people can mock you. Now people can be, well, I don't know about that. And then if it doesn't happen the way they think it should happen, ah, you see, he missed it. So it is an act of faith for me to tell you my story. Because I'd rather just be quiet about it. But he said to me, what started is coming around. The greater of what you saw a taste is coming. The full portion is coming. And it's coming for this church and it's coming for the international because I want you to focus on what did I do at the beginning? The quality of those miracles and healings and also notice the destination. And, and listen, Africa is always my heart. It's always been my heart. It always will be my heart. But listen to me now. I'm, I'm, I'm going, but you got to stay with me a little longer. He said, South Asia. <clears throat> he said, what you started in India will continue again in this season in India. 
And then he said, and not just India, but South Asia. I said, but Lord, what about Africa? He said, everything stays the same with Africa. Everything stays the same with Philippines and the Caribbean and Canada. He said, I'm adding something to you because it started. And I want you to look back at where you started. I'm going to do it again. And I was not looking for India or South Asia to be added to my already busy schedule. But I heard him say it. Jerry Savelle told me once privately, Pastor Craig, go where your favor is. Meaning where God is opening a door, walk through that. Don't try to push another door. Go where your favor is. So three days before Richard Roberts shows up here. I'm just praying like I normally pray. I'm not expecting anything special. I'm just praying. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, I'm sending you to Pakistan. And I said, Pakistan, I've never had Pakistan on my heart. And he said, but it's on my heart. I said, well, then it should be on my heart, Lord. I said, if you send me there, if that's really you, I'll go. But I, I said, okay, Lord, I don't know anybody in Pakistan. And he said, I'll open doors for you. Remember, go where your favor is. So Richard Roberts is here. Are you still with me? And he's, we're in his board meeting. And then he does his report, which is the most exciting part of the entire thing, his report. And he starts saying, I just want you all to know that I really have on my heart India and Pakistan. And my ears perk up. And I thought, Lord, you just told me to go to Pakistan. And back in June, you told me that I'm going to be going back to India. Isn't that a coincidence? That's what I was thinking. And then he starts talking about how he does Zoom calls in Pakistan and India and all these thousands of pastors and how they're all helped. And then he says, but God's not sending me out as much anymore. And I heard the word of the Lord came to me in my heart and said, I'm sending you out. And I'm trying to process what's happening. And then I heard God speak to me. I'm saying this publicly because it's okay to say it publicly because I've told him this already. I heard God speak to me in that meeting as loud as I'm talking to you. And I heard him say, do you remember when Dr. Dufresne died? I told you I'd bring you men. No one man could replace him, but I would bring you a combination. And together they would help fill that spot. Pastor Nancy's the primary. He brought me Randy Greer. He brought me Jerry Savelle. But I've always sensed from way back then, there would be at least three, if not four. And he's never said a word to me about any more. So I just accepted the two. And as I'm sitting in that meeting, I heard God say to me, Richard Roberts is the third man. Loud and strong. And then, so I'm trying to process this. I'm writing it in my phone. Uh, what, what God, what I'm hearing God say. And then I heard him say, there are graces after he said that there are graces on his life for the international work. And if you know everything he's done over his 40 something years, I mean, it's astonishing. He said to me, there are graces on his life for the international work. And he said, um, some of those are being imparted to you this weekend because I'm sending him less And I'm sending you more. So tell him what I've said and ask him to lay his hands upon you. So in the evening service, after the evening service, I told him and he laid hands on me and he imparted to me. And then I went back and prayed and God said to me, he said, you don't fully understand what's just happened. And I said, Lord, usually we don't fully understand the magnitude of it in the moment. And he said, there are many, but I'll list you four. 
He told me that. He didn't tell me. He said there's more, but he didn't tell me what they were. He said there are four main things that have happened by him laying hands on you. Number one, he said there is a favor on him that is supernatural for the international. And, and, And I've heard him tell many stories about how it's just amazing how things just with government, with police, with military, just, and he said, there's been an impartation on you for favor as you travel. Number two, he said, there's an impart, there's a, there's a divine protection on him that is unusual. And I've heard him say, he said, I don't understand when I travel. He said, I never get sick ever. The team can be throwing up. I never get sick. He said, I never get afraid. I never get oppressed. He said, there's demons. They bounce off me. He said, danger bounces off me. He said, threats bounce off me. He said, it's almost like I'm invincible. He said, it's like, I don't understand it. And I heard the Lord say, listen to him. That is an impartation of protection. And I'm putting that on you. I'm not making this up. I heard him say that. Thirdly, he said, there is an impartation. Part of the impartation is his contacts. That means not everything is spiritual. There is a practical. There are contacts that he's going to give you. And I said, okay. I don't know what that means, but okay. And then he said in the fourth, he said, there's an impartation from the healing flow that he operates in. And Pastor Nancy told me she's always operated like me with the laying on of hands only. That's how Dr. Dufresne did it. That's how Dad Hagen did it primarily. But she said, when I got around him, God added to me another, he didn't delete, but he added another flow of healing, which is more by calling out by words of knowledge. And she said, I have more fruit in terms of numerical numbers on that than I even do in the laying on of hands. That doesn't mean I, I'm not laying hands, she said, but there's another flow of healing added. God uses different ministers differently. And God said to me, there's an anointing for healing, that other flow that you don't operate in, and it's coming on you. So four, four impartations when he laid hands on me. One for favor, one for protection, one for context, and one for that healing anointing. And within that same weekend... He looked at me because I said, well, I, you know, God's been putting Pakistan on my heart. God's been putting India on my heart. Uh, God told me I have to go back to India. That what he did at the beginning, he's doing again, and it's going to start in 24. And he looked at me and he said, ah, he's such a precious person. He looked at me and he said, he's like Nathaniel. There is no guile in him. He looked at me and he said, we are not in competition. He said, we are in partnership. And he said, whatever I have, is yours. He said, anything you need my staff to do, any, anything that they've created systems and processes, we'll give it to you for free. Anything that we've done to help anything, planning, whatever, just call my staff. I've told them to make whatever you want. And then he said, and I want to give you contacts. I didn't ask him for it, but God told me it's one of the impartations. And so he said, I'm going to call pastor Paul in Hyderabad, India. He's over 6,000 pastors and he's going to open doors for you. And then he said, I'm going to call Pastor Silas in Pakistan. He said, I've got a Paul and a Silas. And I'm going to call Pastor Silas. He is over 15,000 pastors and he is going to open doors for you. And they called Pastor Paul and Pastor Silas, who I then followed up with. And we're having our first pastor's conference under Pastor Paul in Hyderabad with hundreds of pastors in middle of February in 2024. And we're having our first Pakistan conference, the same trip with Pastor Silas in Lahore, Pakistan with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors.
And God just in one weekend, I need you to understand this is supernatural. I could spend a lifetime trying to create contacts. And in one weekend, God just touched a man's heart and he just said, here. And India has now opened. And Pakistan has now opened. Why? Because he said, go back to the beginning. I'm going to do it again. Now we just found out last week that if you go to Pakistan after India and then try to come back into India, India may not let you back in. And they often send people to watch you because they think you're a spy. India and Pakistan are so conflicted. So I planned on going to Pakistan, doing a pastor's conference, coming back, but I have to cancel that because we, we, we probably won't get back into India. And then I'll miss the other pastor's conference in India. So I've already talked to Pastor Silas and I told him, brother, when we do Pakistan, it's only Pakistan, no India. And I'm going to come on another separate trip. When I do India, it's only India, no Pakistan, because you can't crisscross. Uh, They arrested one guy, kept him in prison for three weeks because he tried to come back into India. They thought he was a Pakistani spy, even though he was an American. And And then put him on house arrest for four months and wouldn't let him come back to the United States. And so we've done a lot of research. Uh, Pastor Happy's parents up north have even gone to the border to ask. And they have said that is not a good idea to go back and forth between the two countries. But I just want you to, uh, that's not the focus. The point is, is that we have through uh, Pastor Chris Cody, he has a contact in southern India. And we're going to do a pastor's conference there. Pastor Happy's coming with me. And then through Dr. Robert's contact, Pastor Paul in Hyderabad, we're going to do a second pastor's conference there. And every one of these pastors are senior pastors with churches yeah. under them. When I teach them a doctrine, they go and preach it to their church. And that trip is set. We're also going up to the far north, to the Punjab, to where Sadr Sundar Singh walked and prayed. God told me go up there. So we're going up there. We're going to meet another pastor of a, of a massive church up there and just make fellowship with him. And, and we're, we're fulfilling the plan of God starting in 2024. We are my brother and sister. And then Pastor Silas said, listen, he said, we can do whatever you want. We can set up meetings. He said, we can do healing services. We can do impartation services. We can do pastoral conferences. And he said, listen, he said, he said, are you willing to work hard when you come? Because they're so hungry. And I said, brother, between me and Pastor Happy, we'll work hard for you. And then he said this, remember God said to me, South Asian, he didn't just say India. And then, and then Pastor Silas said to me, he said, I feel a divine connection with you. And I said, well, well, I do too, sir. And he said, uh, he said, would you, are you only interested in India and Pakistan? And I said, no, God said South Asia, but I don't know what that means. And he goes, you said South Asia? I said, yes, but I don't know what that means. He goes, I'll tell you what that means. (laughs) He said, I have churches in Nepal that are begging me to come. He said, will you come to Nepal? He said, I have churches in Burma and Thailand and Bangladesh that are begging us to come teach their pastors. Will you come? And I said, well, I left. I said, is that all South Asia? He goes, that's all considered South Asia. I said, well, he said South Asia, so we'll just have to pray it out. And and yes, most likely. But I want you to know, congregation, that in the interim overlap season, 24 hasn't even dawned yet. God is already opening up doors. God is already opening up all of South Asia to promise of life. 
a large church in Pakistan, not even connected to Silas. We contacted them and they said, come preach in our church. 2,000 people. They don't even know me. And they said, come preach. It's just say, that's that divine anointing for favor. It's just going out before us. Now I'll pick this up. This is the end of the series, but I'll, there's a little bit more. I'll share it next time for sake of time. But can I just tell you one more thing that's very important before I go? It's very important to me that you hear this. Brother Hagin said, look for patterns. God with Noah, he preached a hundred years later, the rain came. God told Lester Sumrall, the forerunner, which is dad Hagin would preach hundred years later, the rapture would come, give or take. I'm not saying it's exact, but we're almost a hundred years now. In 19, 1851, Alan Gardner and six missionaries died as martyrs in Southern Argentina, Patagonia. Praying for God to touch their land. Exactly a hundred years later in 1951, the largest revival on the planet at that time took place under Edward Miller, and that was the Argentine revival. In 1415, Jan Haas died for the Reformation heresy that he was preaching. And 102 years later in 1517, Luther posted the 95 Thesis. And the modern age of live by faith began since the Apostles. Often God does things in a hundred years. I don't know why, but it just seems, not all the time, but sometimes. I want you to notice that pattern. And I want to say something that is, you couldn't make this up. And I'll close with this, and we'll pick it up the next time I'm with you. Okay? But in 1917, Willard Pierce, who was under Amy Silver McPherson, was sent by her to the shores of Ontario. She said, take my mantle. To Ontario where I was born. And he started Evangel Temple. Angelus Temple. Evang- it was Angelus Temple North. Then it became Evangel Temple downtown on Bond Street. He started that in 1917. Are you listening? Yes. God started talking to me about everything we're experiencing January 17th, 2017. That's when he showed me the timeline of David. That's when he showed me the timeline of Elisha. That's when he showed me the three years, the mantle, all the... Everything happened in 17. Exactly a hundred years, God started another mechanism, a movement. Machines started to move in the spirit a hundred years after that mantle came to the shores. Remember, 2017 was our buildup to receiving the mantle in 2020. Now, I want you to remember that in 1924, under Charles Price... Eight years after Willard Pierce had labored downtown Toronto to establish a work. It takes time to establish things. But eight years later, under Charles Price, who was also an associate pastor under Amy Simple McPherson, they had the largest revival in Canadian history. From 1924 to 1932, eight years of revival, over 15,000 converts. And I want that was under the mantle that we have. That's what Dr. Dufresne saw, that mantle. And the Lord reminded me of this. He said, son, you can't make this up because this is beyond you. It's, be, it's multi-generational. He said, in t- 1917, I started something. And in 2017, I spoke to you. He said, that is not coincidence. And he said, in 1924, 
the preparation season ended and something began to massively increase. And he said, a hundred years later in 2024, which is your phase three, the same thing is going to happen. This is beyond me. This is multi-generational. This is the plan and the hand of God in a sovereign way that I fully in my own mind can't even fathom. How could God do that then? And how could he plan this so meticulously without me even remembering? I'm not trying to make 24 based on 1924. I had completely forgotten about that. Until I wrote this, this is my sorry sermon. And I heard God say, look back at the date. Yes, sir. And I looked at the date and I said, oh my God, you started something. You started increase. Yeah. Yes. And he said, a hundred years later, I will do the same. Because you're under that mental. Hallelujah. 2024 is a major landmark year yeah. <clears throat> for this church. Amen. This is something God has been planning before I was born, before you were born. Nobody here was born in 1924. This is something that people have been praying for that are now dead. God did something in 17 to prep it and and the thing took off in 24. And God said to me, a hundred years later, I began to prep you for the mantle in 17. And now in 24, things are going to start. Now listen to me. He said, they're going to start. That doesn't mean it's culminating in one year. It's going to start. He said, you're stepping into the beginning of the fullness of the mantle apostolically in 24. That's international. That's why things are opening. But he said, you're also stepping into the beginning of the years of Hebron increase. Three years of death are over. 24 marks the tithe year, which is technically the beginning of increase. For promise of life domestic, we we are leaving behind the death years. And we are about to step over the vineyard parallel into the prosperity and increase years for this church. I want you to notice whatever happens internationally is happening locally. Whatever is happening locally, the same thing is happening on the other side of the coin internationally. When you look at promise of life, it's a coin. There is one side called Toronto and there's the other side called everywhere else. You're one side of the coin. The pastors in Hyderabad, the pastors in Africa and Philippines are on the other side of that coin. The whole world is on the other side of the coin. But Mississauga and Toronto is on one side of the coin. You're very valuable to God. The rest of the world has to share that side. You get a whole side to yourself. And he said to me, tell the people, and I'll end with this. There's more, but I'll end with this. He said, tell the people not to think, why are you talking about the international? That's got nothing to do with us. I don't know why you're talking about the international. That's got nothing to do with us. Tell the people it is the same ministry. It is the same coin with just two different sides. And when you focus on the side to help the world, the other side of the coin should rejoice because that is fruit to their account. You will get rewards in heaven because you sent me to India. You will have Indian people meet you. You'll have Pakistani and Nepalian people meet you and African people meet you and say, thank you. Who are you? Your pastor came. 
When we talk about it, rejoice. It is fruit to your account. But remember, whatever God is doing out there, he's also doing here. Because this is the beginning of the increase years. Next year is the beginning of the increase years of this church. I know we are going through a new door and there are many adversaries. Some of you are feeling that pressure. I am feeling that pressure. Hold fast with me. Because we are going through a new door on this, in the spirit, a door of opportunity. And God is going to bless us because our faithfulness. You think it's coincidence that he's telling me there's a whole lot of money. I'm trying to get into this church. Not all of it is for you to sow in the offering. Some of it is for you to buy a new car, pay off your house, buy a new wardrobe. I'm not joking you. But with a seed mentality, your first thought is sowing and then God will make sure you've got the bread to eat. Why is God talking to me so much about money? Why is Pastor Nancy seeing visions of briefcases? Why? Because the years of death are ending. And the three, the fourth year, 21, 22, 23, 24. He said, after the mantle comes, it will be the vineyard parallel. Three years of death, one year of tithe, and then massive increase. But the tithe is still an increase year. Even though it's a more of a sacrificial year, but it's an increase year. Why are we talking about it? Why is God telling me? Tell them 2 Corinthians 9.10. Tell them 2 Corinthians 9.10. Their way to wealth is 2 Corinthians 9.10. Why is he saying it? Because the third year is ending and the beginning of the increase years is upon us. And domestically, it's going to change the landscape of this church. Prayer is increasing. Glory, miracles, signs and wonders are going to increase. Finances is going to increase. Getting this building, favor with the city. And internationally, without me hardly trying. There's 15,000 pastors available in Pakistan asking me to come. There's 6,000 in just one part of India. Then there's a second part of Pakistan that I haven't even got to. They've said come, but I don't even know what they are. Then there's a third part of Pakistan. Remember Professor Alexander? He came and preached for us. He has wide influence in that country. Highly respected. And he has said to me, come, I will open doors for you. I'm telling you guys, just India and Pakistan alone holds 1.5 billion people. I could, I could never come back and barely scratch the surface. Let alone the other countries. Let alone Africa. I'm telling you, it's overwhelming to me. I don't even know how to process it. I say to Jenny, I've got to stop being around Pastor Nancy. Like, I've got to stay away from her. <laughs> Because every time I'm around her, Kim, it's like God is just talking to me. Why? Because the divine principle, when you're around your divine supply, he talks to you. And I actually said this week, I got so tired of writing. I said, that's it. I'm not seeing her again. I can't be around her anymore until January. I just can't do it. Because when I'm around her, he just doesn't stop talking to me. And, it, and it's effort to write it down and to process it and to pray. And my God, that's another thing to believe for. Oh my God, that's another thing to believe for. And you're finally just like, <sighs> I need a rest from Pastor Nancy. I watch her on live stream every day, but I'm not hanging around her in person no more for a long time. Because I'm telling you, when I'm around her, downloads from heaven happen. 
When she's around Brother Copeland, God talks to her about her ministry. He, she doesn't I mean, even listen to him. Until the time. She, God just talking to her. She said to me, he wasn't even in the service. He was not even in the building. And God was talking to me. And I said, but Lord, he's not even here. She said, you're in the same city as him. And in proximity to your divine supply, I will speak. When I'm in the same city as Pastor Nancy, it's dangerous. No more seeing her for a long time now. I can't handle any more talking. I can't, I'm barely able to process what he's given me. That's a good problem. And before Taylor comes, two amazing things right on the cusp of this increase. You know what they are? I need somebody to go with me who I trust. And God has raised up Pastor Happy. And I was worried about I was hurting his office and hurting his church. But God spoke to me and he said, I have assigned him to this. In fact, at the prayer conference. God said some things to him. And, and I think it's so important that as I'm about to go, that I don't always go alone. Because I've been to places where they've mistreated me. And sometimes you need a buffer. Somebody who can stand up for me without me having to do it. Because I can't get in people's bad books, but he can. And he, he's sweet, but he's tough. He's tough. That's the first thing. I thought that was perfect timing. The second thing is that I have lost all desire to travel. I said to Jenny, I said, I don't understand what it is, but I don't, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to get on a plane. I don't want to do nothing. I just want to stay at home. And I said, Lord, am I in the flesh? Am I missing it? Because I know what's about to happen and I should not be feeling this way. You know what God said to me? He said, you can't do what's about to happen without feeling this way. And I said, what do you mean? He said, except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it dies, I will bring it forth with much fruit. He said, listen to me, Mary Chris. He said, I've been waiting many years for you to die to the desire to travel. And I can't raise it up until you die. He said, now, finally, the work of the spirit in these death years has finally taken hold in you. And the desire and the ambition for travel and crowds and all that stuff is now, honestly, he said, it's, it's dead in you. The Holy Ghost has killed it. Not because it's not part of your future, because it is part of your future. I can't send you if you're ambitious. I can't send you if you've got too much. You've got to be like, Lord, I only do this because you tell me to. I've got no nothing. He said, I've been waiting for years for you to die. He said, now finally, in the third year of the death season, it has taken hold of you. And in your heart, you have finally let go all of the stuff about travel. And I know I have because nothing would give me greater joy than if I saw my calendar at home 52 weeks next year. That's all I want to do. I want to be with you. I want to be with my babies. And I want to sit with Jesus. I just, that's all, that's all, that's all I want. I mean it. I'm not just saying that that's all I want. I want to, I want to sit with him and pray and study. I want to be with you and I want to be with my children and my wife. That is the only desire, and with Pastor Nancy, but that's my only desire. And he said, I've been waiting for you to get to this place. Now, finally, 
the ambition for the international is dead. Now I can raise up the international. And I said, but I don't even want to go anymore. Like, how does that work? I don't even want to go anymore. And he said, he said, listen, he said, your flesh has died. But out of your, that's the ambition, but out of your spirit will now come a desire to travel. But it's a spiritual thing. Henceforth, it's been a natural thing. So I just want you to know, there is no ambition for me to go. I just want to be with you. As ugly as you are, I just want to be with you. But he's, the desire is rising up inside me to go. And when I go, just know I'd rather be with you. But I want to be in the plan of God more than anything. And there are millions of people that this church is going to touch just through those pastors alone. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I've spoken too long and too much, but I I needed them to know that it's not just about the international. They got a whole side of the coin themselves. And whatever you're doing on that side, you're equally doing on this side. With miracles there, there'll be miracles here. With financial and explosive gospel preaching there, it will be here. You're doing the same. You're just doing it on two different aspects of this ministry. And Lord, I can't go without a strong Promise of Life Church Mississauga to send me. But Lord Jesus, the day is upon us. Where because of faithfulness, what we experienced in the appetizer five years is now coming to fullness and dramatic flow. You are already opening more doors than I can handle. Lord, you're speaking to me about financial increase for this church because the glory center is going to require it and the international work is going to require it. And Lord, it's going to be hinging on their faith because if they will start doing what I said in the offering... If they will start praying and returning your word to say, Lord, give me seed. Not necessarily even my job, although if you tell me to earn it, I'll earn it. But Lord, supernaturally give me seed. You will start to pour into them from every corner. And that will bless their life for bread, but it will be seed for the gospel. And every person that this ministry touches even these people in Texas that I've never met Lord somebody called me from California yesterday and said we're watching you every Sunday our children gather on the couch to listen to Pastor Craig you're a supplement to our pastor Lord somebody called me from New York last week and said our whole family watches every Sunday afternoon when we get back from church we're like honorary promise of life members Just know, don't be discouraged, Pastor Craig. Your words are changing lives. Lord, I don't always know the impact or how far reaching. But I do know that I'm called and that I've been faithful. And I know you said the greatest days are we're on the cusp of them. I need us to pray more than we've ever prayed and to be led by the spirit more than we've ever been led and to give more than we've ever given and to believe you for seed more than we've ever believed because the best days 2024 a hundred years from the revival is upon us. I'm not saying we'll have a revival in 24 but I know that dramatic increase is part of the agenda. And I thank you, Father, that this congregation receives the vision that I've cast for them. I've been telling them my story. My story is not just the past. 
my story continues. Our story continues into the future. And we are a team and we are running together. Let them run in Hebron with me. Let them not be discouraged at the many adversaries at the effectual door. Let them hold fast their profession of faith, unwavering. Let them not turn back from the plow, for your soul has no delight in those that turn back. Let them press and run with me for the prize. And when we get to heaven, there will be much fruit that all of us will partake of the crowns of this fruit. We give you glory. Lord, you said to David, the ones that stay back receive the same reward as the ones that go to the battle. I may be going to Israel. I may be going to these countries. They may be staying here, but they receive the same spiritual reward. And if they could just grasp that, they would be so excited about what you're doing. I give you praise and glory for it. And I thank you for this precious congregation and their kind attention, even though I went far longer than I normally do. I thank you for them. I bless them. Thank you that they have a great and safe week until they return back to the church house. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.